Book three, chapter five of the Return of the Native by Thomas Hardy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Book three, the fascination. Chapter five. Sharp words are spoken, and a crisis ensues. When Yobright was not with Eustatia, he was sitting slavishly over his books. When he was not reading, he was meeting her. These meetings were carried on with the greatest secrecy. One afternoon his mother came home from a morning visit to Thomason. He could see from a disturbance in the lines of her face that something had happened. "'I have been told an incomprehensible thing,' she said mournfully. The captain has let out at the woman that you and Eustacia Vi are engaged to be married. We are, said Yobright, but it may not be yet for a very long time. I should hardly think it would be yet for a very long time. You will take her to Paris, I suppose. She spoke with weary hopelessness. I am not going back to Paris. What will you do with a wife, then? Keep a school in Budmouth, as I have told you that's incredible the place is overrun with schoolmasters you have no special qualifications what possible chance is there for such as you there is no chance of getting rich but with my system of education which is as new as it is true i shall do a great deal of good to my fellow-creatures dreams dreams if there had been any system left to be invented they would have found it out at the universities long before this time never mother they cannot find it out because their teachers don't come in contact with the class which demands such a system, that is, those who have had no preliminary training. My plan is one for installing high knowledge into empty minds, without first cramming them with what has to be uncrammed again before true study begins. I might have believed you if you had kept yourself free from entanglements, but this woman, if she had been a good girl it would have been bad enough, but being— She is a good girl. So you think. A Corfu bandmaster's daughter. What has her life been? Her surname even is not her true one. She is Captain Vi's granddaughter, and her father merely took her mother's name. And she is a lady by instinct. They call him Captain, but anybody is Captain. He was in the Royal Navy. No doubt he has been to sea in some tub or other. Why doesn't he look after her? No lady would rove about the heath at all hours of the day and night as she does. But that's not all of it. There was something queer between her and Thomasin's husband at one time. I am as sure of it as that I stand here. Eustacia has told me. He did pay her a little attention a year ago, but there's no harm in that. I like her all the better. Clem, said his mother with firmness. I have no proofs against her, unfortunately. But if she makes you a good wife, there has never been a bad one. Believe me, you are almost exasperating, said your bride vehemently. And this very day I had intended to arrange a meeting between you. But you give me no peace. You try to thwart my wishes in everything. I hate the thought of any son of mine marrying badly. I wish I had never lived to see this. It is too much for me. It is more than I dreamt. She turned to the window. Her breath was coming quickly, and her lips were pale, parted, and trembling. Mother, said Clem, whatever you do, you will always be dear to me, that you know. But one thing I have a right to say, which is, that at my age I am old enough to know what is best for me. Mrs. Yobright remained for some time silent and shaken, as if she could say no more. Then she replied, Best? 
is it best for you to injure your prospects for such a voluptuous idle woman as that don't you see that by the very fact of your choosing her you prove that you do not know what is best for you you give up your whole thought you set your whole soul to please a woman i do and that woman is you how can you treat me so flippantly said his mother turning again to him with a tearful look you are unnatural clem and i did not expect it very likely said he cheerlessly you did not know the measure you were going to meet me and therefore did not know the measure that would be returned to you again you answer me you think only of her you stick to her in all things that proves her to be worthy i have never yet supported what is bad and i do not care only for her i care for you and for myself and for anything that is good when a woman once dislikes another she is merciless oh clem please don't go setting down as my fault what is your obstinate wrong-headedness if you wished to connect yourself with an unworthy person why did you come home here to do it why didn't you do it in paris it is more the fashion there you have come only to distress me a lonely woman and shorten my days i wish that you would bestow your presence where you bestow your love clem said huskily you are my mother i would say no more beyond this that i beg your pardon for having thought this my home i will no longer inflict myself upon you i'll go and he went out with tears in his eyes it was a sunny afternoon at the beginning of summer and the moist hollows of the heath had passed from their brown to their green stage yobright walked to the edge of the basin which extended down from mistover and rainbarrow by this time he was calm and he looked over the landscape in the minor valleys between the hillocks which diversified the contour of the vale the fresh young ferns were luxuriantly growing up ultimately to reach a height of five or six feet he descended a little way flung himself down in a spot where a path emerged from one of the small hollows and waited hither it was that he had promised eustacia to bring his mother this afternoon that they might meet and be friends his attempt had utterly failed he was in a nest of vivid green the ferny vegetation round him though so abundant was quite uniform it was a grove of machine-made foliage a world of green triangles with saw edges and not a single flower the air was warm with a vaporous warmth and the stillness was unbroken lizards grasshoppers and ants were the only living things to be beheld the scene seemed to belong to the ancient world of the carboniferous period when the forms of plants were few and the fern kind when there was neither bud nor blossom nothing but a monotonous extent of leafage amid which no bird sang when he had reclined for some considerable time gloomily pondering he discerned above the ferns a drawn bonnet of white silk approaching from the left and yobright knew directly that it covered the head of her he loved his heart awoke from its apathy to a warm excitement and jumping to his feet he said aloud i knew she was sure to come she vanished in a hollow for a few moments and then her whole form unfolded itself from the brink only you here she exclaimed with a disappointed air whose hollowness was proved by her rising redness and her half-guilty low laugh where is mrs yobright she has not come he replied in a subdued tone i wish i had known that you would be here alone she said seriously and that we were going to have such an idle pleasant time as this pleasure not known beforehand is half wasted 
to anticipate it is to double it i have not thought once to-day of having you all to myself this afternoon and the actual moment of the thing is so soon gone it is indeed poor clem she continued looking tenderly into his face you are sad something has happened at your home never mind what it is let us only look at what seems but darling what shall we do said he still go on as we do now just live on from meeting to meeting never minding about another day you i know are always thinking of that i can see you are but you must not will you dear clem you are just like all women they are never content to build their lives on any incidental position that offers itself whilst men would fain make a globe to suit them listen to this eustacia there is a subject i have determined to put off no longer your sentiment on the wisdom of carpe diem does not impress me to-day our present mode of life must shortly be brought to an end it is your mother it is i love you none the less in telling you it is only right you should know i have feared my bliss she said with the merest motion of her lips it has been too intense and consuming there is hope yet there are forty years of work in me yet and why should you despair i am only at an awkward turning i wish people wouldn't be so ready to think that there is no progress without uniformity ah your mind runs off to the philosophical side of it well these sad and hopeless obstacles are welcome in one sense for they enable us to look with indifference upon the cruel satires that fate loves to indulge in i have heard of people who upon coming suddenly into happiness have died from anxiety lest they should not live to enjoy it i felt myself in that whimsical state of uneasiness lately but i shall be spared it now let us walk on clem took the hand which was already bared for him it was a favourite way with them to walk bare hand in bare hand and led her through the ferns they formed a very comely picture of love at full flush as they walked along the valley that late afternoon the sun sloping down on their right and throwing their thin spectral shadows tall as poplar trees far out across the firs and fern eustacia went with her head thrown back fancifully a certain glad and voluptuous air of triumph pervading her eyes at having won by her own unaided self a man who was her perfect complement in attainment appearance and age on the young man's part the paleness of face which he had brought with him from paris and the incipient marks of time and thought were less perceptible than when he returned the healthful and energetic sturdiness which was his by nature having partially recovered its original proportions they wandered onward till they reached the nether margin of the heath where it became marshy and merged in moorland i must part from you here clem said eustacia they stood still and prepared to bid each other farewell everything before them was on a perfect level the sun resting on the horizon line streamed across the ground from between copper-coloured and lilac clouds stretched out in flats beneath a sky of pale soft green all dark objects on the earth that lay towards the sun were overspread by a purple haze against which groups of wailing gnats shone out rising upwards and dancing about like sparks of fire oh this leaving you is too hard to bear exclaimed eustacia in a sudden whisper of anguish your mother will influence you too much i shall not be judged fairly it will get afloat that i am not a good girl and the witch story will be added to make me blacker they cannot 
nobody dares to speak disrespectfully of you or of me oh how i wish i was sure of never losing you that you could not be able to desert me anyhow clem stood silent a moment his feelings were high the moment was passionate and he cut the knot you shall be sure of me darling he said folding her in his arms we will be married at once oh clem do you agree to it if if we can we certainly can both being of full age and i have not followed my occupation all these years without having accumulated money and if you will agree to live in a tiny cottage somewhere on the heath until i take a house in budmouth for the school we could do it at a very little expense how long shall we have to live in the tiny cottage clem about six months at the end of that time i shall have finished my reading yes we will do it and this heart-aching will be over we shall of course live in absolute seclusion and our married life will only begin to outward view when we take the house in budmouth where i have already addressed a letter on the matter would your grandfather allow you i think he would on the understanding that it should not last longer than six months i will guarantee that if no misfortune happens if no misfortune happens she repeated slowly which is not likely dearest fix the exact day and then they consulted on the question and the day was chosen it was to be a fortnight from that time this was the end of their talk and eustacia left him clem watched her as she retired towards the sun the luminous rays wrapped her up with her increasing distance and the rustle of the dress over the sprouting sedge and grass died away as he watched the dead flat of the scenery overpowered him though he was fully alive to the beauty of that untarnished early summer green which was worn for the nonce by the poorest blade there was something in its oppressive horizontality which too much reminded him of the arena of life it gave him a sense of bare equality with and no superiority to a single living thing under the sun Eustacia was now no longer the goddess, but the woman to him, a being to fight for, support, help, be maligned for. Now that he had reached a cooler moment, he would have preferred a less hasty marriage. But the card was laid, and he determined to abide by the game. Whether Eustacia was to add one other to the list of those who loved too hotly to love long and well, the forthcoming event was certainly a ready way of proving. End of Book 3, Chapter 5